Shalom. Thank you for listening to this week's message from Emmaus Road Fellowship, where we encounter Yeshua in the scriptures. Check out our website at walkingemmausroad.org, where you'll find additional teachings and information on visiting us in Kingwood, Texas. If you've been blessed by this ministry, please consider giving to support Emmaus Road's mission of spreading the good news of the kingdom. May God grant you shalom in the name of Yeshua, our Messiah. This week, we're at our, our portion is Noah. Okay, so last week we talked about the new creation. And, and this week, um, we're going to talk about a new creation. So we'll just do it twice in a row. But, you know, twice in a row, we're not going to repeat the uh, sin and repentance talk. I'm glad that you came back. This is good. So y'all are brave, you know. Uh, <laughs> I don't know about the people who aren't here this week. We'll have to follow up with them. <laughs> but uh, so last week we talked about sin and repentance. Uh, this week we're going to talk a little bit about righteousness, right? And because so, last week we talked about the need to get the sin out and to repent and turn to the Lord. But, you know, that's not enough. Right, because then we actually need to fill ourselves back up with something that is good, you know. So we fill ourselves up with what is good, or is it that God fills us up with something that's good, or perhaps it's both, right? But then, out of that fresh filling, we then walk out and carry out righteousness, okay? Because righteousness, well, righteousness, righteousness is a noun, right? It can reflect a state of being, or it can refer specifically to acts that are performed that are righteous. And so really, the righteousness that we talk about is both aspects of it. Both we are in a state of righteousness, and then from a state of righteousness, we walk in righteousness by performing acts in keeping with it. And so what we want is to be so filled up with the righteousness of Messiah that we overflow both in our words and in our actions, right? The overflow of the heart, the mouth will speak, and the hands will carry out. So the message today, we're going to figure out kind of along the way somewhat. Uh, I know that I know that part of the message is about righteousness, and part of it is about a new creation. And um, we're gonna we're gonna put these things together. <laughs> um, and as we were worshiping, what I was thinking on was the aspects of this new creation. Okay, because in Genesis 1-1, God created the heavens and the earth, right? But then in our portion today, God destroys the earth and renews it through the flood. So there's actually a new creation that's taking place in this portion as well. And when we look at where we've all come from, from a state of brokenness, from a state of sin, you know, our life, our old life has passed away and we've come into a new life. We've been made a new creation through the blood of Yeshua and through the infilling of the Holy Spirit, right? So God... uh God likes recreating things. He likes making things new. He likes taking what is broken and making it whole and bringing restoration. And he's been in that process from the beginning. He does it on the macro level for the whole world. And he does it on the individual level 
with each of us as well. And when we look at the story of Noah, right? So God says that the wickedness of man has come up before him and that the days of man are numbered and he's going to wipe them out. And he sends a flood, but he puts Noah on an ark and brings him through. And I wonder, when we think about this story, what is it we think of? Do we think about the judgment and the destruction? Or do we think about the renewal? Maybe we think about both, right? Because both parts are in there. But as I was thinking on it during worship, it was the aspect of God was redeeming the world through righteousness for the sake of righteousness. Okay? And we're going we're gonna to kind of unpack this. Um, but when we read in the scriptures in Genesis 6-8, which was the last verse of last week's portion, the scripture says, Noah, actually I'll start a little bit before that. In verse 7, Genesis 6-7, the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I created from the face of the earth, from man to animal, to creeping things, and to birds of the sky, for I have reconsidered my having made them. And it looks like it's over. But verse 8 says, But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And then it continues in verse 9, These are the offspring of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, perfect in his generations. Noah walked with God. Okay? Now, the, sa- the sages... Okay, well, then in verse 10 it goes on to say, Noah had begotten three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Right? When the sages looked at this passage and they said, well, the scripture says, now these are the offspring of Noah. This the scripture takes a break and doesn't go into saying who his offspring were. It, it instead says Noah was a righteous man, perfect in his generations. Noah walked with God. So the sages made the commentary on this saying, the offspring of the righteous is their good deeds. It's an interesting thought, right? Because... Within our good deeds, there's power for transformation. There's power for restoration. And God redeems the world through righteousness, through grace. Because when you think about Yeshua, Yeshua was perfect in all generations. Noah, the the scripture here says that he was perfect in his generations, but Yeshua was perfect in all generations. Yeshua's righteousness was so great that he was able to earn grace and favor for every generation, past, present, and future. And it's through that that God, it's through that faithfulness, through that righteousness that God can redeem the whole earth. Because God has an order and way in which things do work. There's justice, there's mercy, there's judgment, there's restoration. And he brings that restoration through righteousness and righteousness that is more than just a thought, righteousness that is lived out and carried out. So when the scripture says that Noah was a righteous man, perfect in his generations, and Noah walked with God, that word walked, okay, is specifically hit chalek, okay? Now, Okay, so we get into a little bit of Hebrew here for a second. So the word halach 
is to walk. Okay? But then there's various ways that you can translate the verb or conjugate the verb. Not, let's not translate. You conjugate the verb to, you can do like your past tense, your future tense, different things like that. But this one specifically is hit halech. Okay, which is a, a specific congregation that talks about a, um, a repeated or a continuous action. Okay, so it's not about he walked by and waved at the Lord. It's like he continuously walked with the Lord. He walked back and forth with, with the Lord is one of the specific translations. And so Noah was, he knew God. He walked with them. It's the same exact conjugation that was used for Enoch when it said that Enoch walked with God and then he was no more. It's the same one. Now, Noah sometimes gets a bad rap, and I, and I can understand that. We talked a little bit about it on Thursday night because some of the, some of the sages and, and some of the commentary that we read talk about, well, he was only perfect or righteous in his generation, and his generation was exceedingly wicked. You know, if he had been present in the time of Abraham or Moses, then he would have been rather insignificant, is what Rashi comments. And, and I can understand those arguments of saying, okay, well, I understand how difficult it can be to rise up from a generation and society that is down low, right? Because to really ascend... You have to be able to overcome all the things that try to drag you down and snare you and entangle you. So Noah had a big job to do. And so he certainly had trials. But on the other side, uh, both in this scripture here, he's presented as a righteous person. In Second Peter 2, 5, he's referred to as a herald or a preacher of righteousness. In Hebrews eleven seven. The scripture says that he was an heir of the righteousness by faith, that he, uh, in reverence of God, built the ark. And then in Ezekiel 14, Noah is mentioned as being righteous along with Daniel and Job. Okay, So there's multiple times in the scripture when he's spoken of as being righteous. Uh, yeah, well, here in Ezekiel 14, 12 to 16, the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, if a country sins against me by committing unfaithfulness and I stretch out my hand against it, destroy its supply of bread, send famine against it, and cut it off from both man and beast, even though these three men, Noah, Daniel, and Job, were in its midst by their own righteousness, they could only deliver themselves, declares the Lord God. And if I were to cause wild beasts to pass through the land and they de depopulated it and it became desolate so that no one could would pass through it because of the beasts, though these three men were in its midst, midst as I live, declares the Lord God, they could not deliver either their sons or their daughters. They alone would be delivered, but the country would be desolate. Now, I don't know if you've ever taken time to, to look at that passage, but if you see there's a preservation that these righteous men would undergo even in the times of judgment because of their faithfulness with, with, with which they walked with God. So Noah, Daniel, and Job. And there, so there's a principle here that there is preservation that comes through righteousness. Now, none of these men that are mentioned were perfect. 
right? They were righteous, but they weren't perfect. Because righteousness and perfection, they, are, they, aren't, they aren't one and the same thing. Now, you know, we mentioned before Yeshua, perfectly righteous. He was perfect, right? Such that when the judgment comes, he is able to carry people through on his own righteousness. Okay, Ezekiel says that these righteous men could have been carried through by their own righteousness, but in those cases, they weren't bringing anyone else with them. But in the story of the flood, Noah and his family members were carried through the ark, or they were placed in the ark and carried through the judgment. Nowhere in the scripture does it say, say that his family were righteous such that they got to go into the ark. It was through the righteousness of Noah that his family was preserved. It's an interesting concept, right? And I know we've talked about it before. It's what the true definition of grace is. And, and I know I say it a lot, but I guess I'll say it again today. Because <laughs> it's good for us to know that grace is merited favor that can then be given to those who don't merit favor. Okay, but it has to be earned by someone to then be extended to others. And so in the case of Noah, he walked with God and his righteousness was then extend, it was, it found favor before God so that God extended a, a mercy to him. Okay, because Noah's uh, righteousness was not perfection that could get him to the world to come. Okay, so there, there still had to be grace given to Noah. Okay, I just want to be clear on that. The grace given to Noah is from the grace earned by Yeshua. Because the favor he earned was enough to be from the beginning to the end, right? And so, but anyway, so he received grace, and then grace was passed through him through the power of his faith that was carried out through walking with God. So, I don't know if I've explained that well, but perhaps we'll hit, hit a little more on it too. Okay, so Noah could have been more righteous. He could have been more righteous, um, but he did preach repentance, and he was a herald of righteousness to those who were walking in sin and often, well, I can't say often, who just didn't listen to his message, okay? For if they had listened to his message, more people would have been on the boat with him. Okay, so so what does righteousness look like? We already talked a little bit about it. It's, it's not perfection, but I believe that it's trusting in God combined with works. It's faith and works coming together that are righteousness. Let's go to Romans 2, 11 to 16. For there is no partiality with God. All who have sinned outside of Torah will also perish outside of Torah, and all who have sinned according to Torah will be judged by Torah. For it is not, not the hearers of Torah who are righteous before God, rather it is the doers of Torah who will be justified. For when Gentiles who do not have the Torah do by nature the things of the Torah, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the Torah. 
They show that the work of the Torah is written in their hearts, their conscience bearing witness, and their thoughts switching between accusing or defending them on the day when God judges the secrets of men according to my good news through Messiah Yeshua. So, I think my point here <laughs> is really the, the idea that um, God has revealed righteousness. What's that? Um, let's go back to Romans. We'll go back one slide, please. Romans 2, 11 to 16. Okay, so a judgment comes for all who sin, but then um, righteousness of God can still be worked out bringing justification. Now, the justification is not just a result of good works, but it's also through trusting in God. For you can't be justified without faith in God through the, through the faithfulness of Yeshua. But the doers of the Torah, those who walk in righteousness, who carry it out, those are the ones who are justified. It's not just those who've heard the good news, but do nothing with it. Okay, That can be a hard message to hear, but we have to walk in righteousness for the power of God to be revealed in us. If we go to James 2, verse 14, The scripture says, what use is it, my brethren, if someone says he has faith, but he has no works? Can that faith save him? Okay, this is a rhetorical question, right? The, the answer is implicit, that no, faith without works is use, it cannot save, it is useless. It's just an idea, it's a concept, but it has to manifest in the person. I know we can talk about examples like on the cross where Yeshua talked to the person who was on the cross and by his own word, that was an act. By his own confession about who Yeshua was, he was acting in righteousness combined with his faith. Okay, Now he didn't get to live much longer to go and carry out acts of righteousness, but even that word spoken was an act of righteousness combined with his faith. Okay. Does that answer your question? Well, um, I was thinking of like the people in hospice when they die silently with no ability to speak yet. And I've always thought or heard that maybe they can give their life to the Lord in their spirit on their way, like as they're about to die soon. But you're, this might be implying that they can't, they have to actually do something verbally to have a witness on the earth as an act of righteousness. I, I mean, it's a fair question, and with, when it comes down to a question like that, we leave it in God's hands, right? Um, I certainly wouldn't say that uh, just because they can't speak that they're doomed. No boy, you know, but Instead, this is really being addressed towards people who are living <laughs> and still have a life to live, you know. And so it's more like, okay, if, if we say, all right, I, I believe that Yeshua is the Son of God and that He died for, for me, 
and that I have eternal life through him, but I'm not going to live accordingly. I'm going to live according to however I want to live, but I know that this is true, and since I know it's true, that makes me okay. That's a false faith. That's a faith that cannot save. A faith that can save is one that is combined with a actual transformation that says, though I will live according to the revelation that's been given to me. And so, I mean, that, so that's really, that's the intent of this passage is to address people who are living and are going to go on living and have an opportunity to actually act based upon it. If we go to continue on in verse 20. Um, but are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that faith without works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up Isaac his son on the altar? You see that faith was working with his works, and as a result of the works, faith was perfected. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, And Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. You see that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. Okay, so again, just considering again or taking a little further that when we have this transformation, we have the word planted in us, it has to spark a response. Our trust in God is not just a intellectual trust. It's a trust that is lived out, that is walked back and forth continuously and repeatedly through our lives, such that righteousness might be revealed on the earth. And then who knows? What will that righteousness achieve? Right? In the case of Noah, it was saving grace for his family. Well, let's go to Philippians 3. So one thing with, within this discussion, within this call to righteousness and stressing the importance of it, I do not want to say that man is saved by righteous works. Because man is not saved by righteous works of their own. For no man is perfect, right? All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And we all are in need of our Savior, through, and it's through His faith that we're saved. And at the same time, and, and so really, Philippians 3, I think, is going to highlight this. But this, was, this, this passage was standing out to me throughout the week, so I want to read Philippians 3 in its entirety. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things again is no trouble to me, and it is a safeguard for you. Beware of the dogs, beware of the evil workers, beware of the false circumcision. For we are the true circumcision who worship in the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Although I myself might have confidence even in the flesh, if anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more. Circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to the righteousness which is in the law, found blameless. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as lost for the sake of Christ. 
So Paul was noting all the reasons that he has to boast in what the flesh can do and in how he has lived his life. Right? And he has a great list. When you think about who Paul was, he was a student of Gamaliel. He was one of the cream of the crop within Judaism in understanding the Torah and in, in zealousness and in walking out all of the things. So he had standing as one of the chosen of the nation of Israel. He had, he had everything that in the flesh that you could boast in, but yet he took it and said, I count it as loss compared to the surpassing riches of knowing. Okay, yeah. More than that, I count all things to be lost in the view of surpassing knowledge of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I've suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish that I may gain Christ. Now, within this aspect, he wasn't saying that all those things are rubbish. Okay? He was trying, he was making a compare and contrast. He was saying all these things are good. But in relative to the surpassing riches of knowing Messiah, they don't hold up. Right? It's kind of like when, when Yeshua says, uh, you must hate your family if you're going to love me. He really doesn't want you to hate your family. You know, He's saying that the amount of love for him should far exceed your love for the others. Not that there's a lack of love. Because then if there's a lack of love, then it doesn't take much love to love him more. (laughs) And so, so then the things Paul points to here in verse 9 says, and may, you know, that he may gain Messiah and be found in him, not having a righteousness of his own derived from the Torah, but that which is through the faith of Messiah. The righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. Okay, And if we hover back at that verse just for a moment, at verse 9, some of the translations that we see will, will say, not having my own righteousness, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. But the way the Greek is actually written, it's written in a way that does not say faith in Messiah. It's written to say the faith of Messiah. Okay, you the righteousness of your own, not derived from the Torah, but that which is through the faith or faithfulness of Messiah, through what he achieved, and then you receive from, which you receive on the basis of faith. Does that make sense? So by faith, you receive the faithfulness that Yeshua merited. And that's what you receive from God as a gift, which is part of the whole aspect here that we're talking about of the redemption through righteousness, which then in turn becomes for the sake of righteousness, right? Because Yeshua, like we're given righteousness as a gift and grace through the righteousness already earned by Yeshua so that we might then walk according to his ways. Right. Okay, so then in verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead, 
Not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which I was also laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore, as many as are perfect, have this attitude. And if any, if in anything you have a different attitude, God will reveal that also to you. However, let us keep living by the same standard to which we have attained. Brethren, join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. For many walk, of whom I often told you and now tell you even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, and whose glory is in their shame, who set their minds on earthly things. For our our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself. Right, so we're looking for this transformation that, that he brings as, as he can bring all things into subjection under his feet, so we too can be brought into subjection to him through obedience and in righteousness. And within what Paul was saying, despite what Paul had attained through his, his heritage, through his observance of the Torah, through his status, even through coming to know Messiah and having a revelation of Messiah. He still says, I've not yet attained it, but I press on. I press on. I continually walk. I walk back and forth with Messiah Yeshua, right? That I might know him and have the surpassing riches of that knowledge, of that relationship. And the key thing he says is he forgets what lies behind and reaches forward to what lies ahead, casting off that which was dead and now walking in the newness of life and the new creation that he's been made, pressing on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call in Messiah Yeshua. That's the power of the new creation too. to leave what was behind and press on. So when you look at what, what's taking place with Noah, right? He's uh, rather old at the time the flood, of, the t- of the flood. <laughs> um, I believe he was 600 years old when the waters came, right? 600 years. And for 120 years, he had preached righteousness unsuccessfully to a wicked and perverse generation. I think he had a lot he wanted to forget, (laughs) right? And then he's brought through in the ark, and then he's placed again on the earth. And God renews the covenant and places his bow in the sky. So Noah had a call there, too, to forget what lies behind and to press on to what lay ahead. Um, let's go, let's go to Genesis.
Uh, Genesis 7, perhaps. All right, so the Lord had already told Noah to build an ark, and he said that he would establish his covenant with them, with his son's wife and your son's wives with you, okay? And that he would he would keep them through the flood. In verse 1 of Genesis 7, Then the Lord said to Noah, Enter the ark, you and all your household, for you alone I have seen to be righteous before me in this time. You shall take with you of every clean animal by sevens, a male and his female, and the animals that are not clean, two, a male and his female. Also of the birds of the sky by sevens, male and female, to keep offspring alive on the face of all the earth. For after seven more days I will send rain on the earth, forty days and forty nights, and I will blot out from the face of the land every living thing that I have made. Noah did according to all that the Lord had commanded him. Okay. And I don't know that we have this on the uh, on the wall, but we'll keep going. In verse 6, Noah was 600 years old when the flood was water upon the earth. Noah with his wife, with his sons, his wife and his sons' wives with him, went into the ark because of the waters of the flood. Okay. Carrying on in 711. Okay. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the 17th day of the month, on that day all the fountains of the great deep burst forth, and the windows of the heavens were opened, and the rain was upon the earth 40 days and 40 nights. Okay, so they all came in. Okay, starting in verse 17. Let's, let's jump to Genesis seven seventeen. Then the flood came upon the earth for 40 days, and the water increased and lifted up the ark so that it rose above the earth. The water prevailed and increased greatly upon the earth, and the ark floated on the surface of the water. The water prevailed more and more upon the earth so that all the high mountains everywhere under the heavens were covered. The water prevailed 15 cubits higher, and the mountains were covered. All flesh that moved on the earth perished, birds and cattle and beasts and every swarming thing that swarms upon the earth, and all mankind, of all that was on the dry land, all in whose nostrils was the breath of the spirit of life, died. Thus he blotted out every living thing that was upon the face of the land, from man to animals to creeping things and to birds of the sky. And they were blotted out from the earth, and only Noah was left together with those that were with him in the ark. The water prevailed upon the earth 150 days. But God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the cattle that were with him in the ark, and God caused a wind to pass over the earth, and the water subsided. Okay. Now within this passage, there's several things that if, if we read too quickly, we're going to miss. Okay, so the flood was on the earth, and the waters increased, and it lifted the ark so that it was lifted above the earth. The waters strengthened and increased, okay, and the ark drifted on the surface of the waters. Okay, so when God was creating the heavens and the earth, God divided the waters. There was the waters above, and well, there was water, and he divided it and made a firmament. There was waters above and there was waters below. 
But now, in the story of Noah, the scripture actually says that the fountains of the great deep burst forth. Okay? And the windows of heaven were opened. So you had water coming from above and water coming from below until water covered all of the earth. It was a reversal. Does that make sense? The waters came back together and destroyed every living thing except that which was in the ark. And the ark, where did, what does it say about the ark? It said the ark drifted upon the surface of the waters. Only it doesn't really say that it drifted upon the surface of the waters. It says the ark walked upon the surface of the waters. The ark walked upon the surface of the waters. Now, if we think about this a little further, and you think about what is an ark, in Hebrew it's uh, the teva, okay? It's the teva. Now the teva um, actually can mean word. I've got that somewhere. I don't know where I have it. Oh, there it is. It can mean a word or words of prayer, potentially. But so, if we were to be creative with the translation here, then we could say that the flood was on the earth, the waters increased, and it raised the word so it was lifted above the earth, and the water strengthened and increased, and the ark and the word walked upon the surface of the waters. Okay. Yeah, the word walked upon the surface of the waters. And we know that the spirit of Messiah hovered over the surface of the waters at creation. Right? And then here, also, when, when we see that God caused a wind to come over the earth and to separate the waters, the wind is ruach. He caused the ruach to come over the surface of the waters and to make this new creation again. It was the same earth, but it was made new. <laughs> so it was renewed, right? In Matthew 14, what happens? Matthew 14, I don't think I put it in the... Uh, so Matthew 14... Jesus walks on the water. Uh, verse 22, right? You have the story. Yeshua feeds the 5,000. He sends his disciples on ahead of him. And when they were crossing the waters, this says that they were battered by the waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were frightened, saying, It's a ghost. They cried out for fear, but immediately Yeshua spoke to them, saying, Take courage, it's I. Don't be afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, Come. And Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came towards Yeshua. But seeing the wind, he became afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Yeshua stretched out his hand and took hold of him and said to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind stopped. And those who were in the boat worshipped him and said, You are certainly God's son. Yeah. So here you have the word of God walking on the waters in the midst of the chaos and bringing peace to those who invited him to come into their boat. 
and who kept their eye on him. But what did Peter do? When Peter saw him, he said, if it's you, tell me to come to you. And he said, all right, come. And so then Peter put his faith and his trust into action and began to walk. Because he said, well, if my, if my rabbi is walking on the water, I need to be like my rabbi. I need to walk on the water too. That's bold. That's bold faith. That's faith with works. But, he, you know, he, he wasn't perfect in it, right? I mean, he looked away, the wind and the waves. It's a scary thing. You know, it's one of those things when you're stepping out of your faith and you're saying, whoa, hey, actually, it's working. You say, this is working. It shouldn't be working. And then you find a reason to doubt. <laughs> but it was working, right? And uh, But then he called out. And, of course, Yeshua stretched out his hand and took hold of him because he is our Savior. So what we have taking place in the story of Noah is that through righteousness, Noah and his family were saved. And through the power of God, Noah and his family were saved and brought through a judgment that was coming, protected in the midst of this ark, which is the word, which was covered inside, which was, amen. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, come in. <laughs> that should be our response. You should ask who it is first. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, with that kind of thunder, I don't know. I mean, I was just I was waiting for the sound of the shofar. Uh, <laughs> um, I don't know what I was saying now. Okay, so, um, okay, so we've got this redemption that's taking place, and they're being carried through the ark in the midst of it, and preserved for a new creation. Okay, So then, God causes the waters to separate again. And once again, the word comes back onto the earth. And Noah and his family come out of the ark. And when they come out of the ark, they bless God. Uh, Noah sets up altars, and he gives uh, offerings to God. And God renews the covenant with them, as he had said, as he said he would establish his covenant with Noah. Okay, so it's in Genesis 9, verse 8. He says, And God said to Noah and to his sons with him, saying, As for me, behold, I establish my covenant with you and with your offspring after you. Okay, he's speaking both Noah and Noah's offspring at this point that he's establishing the covenant with you and with your offspring after you and with every living being that is with you, with the birds and with the animals, with every beast of the land with you, of all that departed the ark to every beast of the land, and I will confirm my covenant with you. Never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood, and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant that I give between me and you and every living being that is with you to generations forever. I have set my rainbow in the cloud, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. And it shall happen when I place a cloud over the earth, and the bow will be seen in the cloud. I will remember my covenant between me and you, and every living being among all flesh. And the water shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. And the bow shall be in the cloud, and I will look upon it to remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living being among all flesh that is on the earth. And God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant that I have confirmed between me and all flesh that is on the earth. 
And when they came out, God renewed the, the call to be fruitful and multiply. And then he gave the, the Noah heed laws, and it was all part of the renewal, the restoration of the initial purpose of man. Right? Now, within this story, right, I mean, this is a, this is a picture of the salvation that we have through Yeshua. It's the picture of being preserved. Oh, I don't remember where I'm going now. There we go. <laughs> it's the, the picture of the ark, right? We were talking about the ark and how it's the word. But then also this ark was to be covered inside and out with pitch, right? And it's to be covered, okay, with kafar, with pitch, kafar. Okay, not, it's probably kofar. But anyway, whatever it is, the, it's the root word is the same there, which is tied to Yom Kippur, okay? Atonement. Okay, so the ark should be covered with atonement inside and out. Okay, so when you think about the ark being a picture of our Messiah, who is the one that we receive atonement through, right? Inside and out, we're placed within him, we're preserved in him, we're found in him by faith, and, and preserved and carried through into what will be the world to come, right? Now, Noah made it through this picture of what is happening, right? He made it through a real deliverance, okay, from the world that was into the world that was renewed. And that gives us a picture of our own being brought from this world into the world that will be renewed in the world to come. It's just that the righteousness that was required for us to go from this world to the world to come was different and far above the righteousness required to move Noah through the floodwaters. Okay, so if you think about even the idea that the blood of Yeshua is far greater than bulls and goats and can be entered into the heavenly places for eternal life, same kind of concept, right? One more on that. I was just looking at the, the word teva, and that word is only used twice in the scriptures in two places, and one is referring to the ark, and the other is referring to the basket that Moses was placed into. Yeah. And so when you think about Noah being a picture of the Redeemer, of the redemption of Yeshua that you're talking about, Moses also being a picture of the redemption, you know, a picture of Yeshua, the prophet who was you know, likened to Moses. Yes. So I thought that was really cool that that's the, the only other place that it's used. Yeah, that's outstanding. Yep, he was preserved through his own ark, which was covered with pitch. Surprising. You know, how about that? Very good. Um, okay. I was going to see if there was any other note there that I was going to mention on it. Um. Okay. Yes. I was also thinking when you were talking about how it was like a rewind of creation, the, the waters from the sky and the waters from below ceased to be separated. And the rainbow, like the picture of the rainbow is kind of like God saying, look, I'm, I'm holding up the separation. Like it's mm. the, 
the waters of the the earth and the waters of the sky. Like here, I'm I'm continuing to hold them apart. Mm-hmm. Like I'm not going to undo that step of creation again. Yeah, that's cool. That is, is it cool. true that it never rained up until that point? I I I. Uh, I heard Go ahead and say that again. I'm sorry. Um, I had heard before that up until that point it had never actually rained on the earth. That that was actually the first time. Well, um, right. I've I've heard that before as well. Um, I actually don't agree with it. Uh, so I'll, I'll explain why. Yeah, y'all ready? This is this is important. No. I mean it's it's interesting, right? Okay, so. So we'll go back to that. And I mean, I may be wrong. Let's just go ahead and say that. Okay. But let, let's go with this too. I mean, and let's assume I'm right. <laughs> okay. Um, all right. So there was a passage where I thought I had it here. Okay. Here it's in, in Genesis 2. Verse 5 says, Now all the trees of the field were not yet on the earth, and all the herb of the field had not yet sprouted, for the Lord God had not sent rain upon the earth, and there was no man to work the soil. And it does say, A mist ascended from the earth and watered the whole surface of the soil. And the Lord God formed the man of the dust from the ground, and he blew into his nostrils the soul of life. Okay. So what the scripture there says that the rain had not been sent because there was no man to work the soil and that the trees and the herb were not yet on the earth. But if you go back and say, well, wait a second, the the trees and the herbs existed before man, but here it's saying that they weren't sprouted, okay? So one of the understandings of it is that God seeded the earth with potential on the day that he said that he, or the day that he created the trees and such as that. But then this verse to me seems to imply that once man was there to work, that God did send rain, which caused the trees of the field and the herb to sprout. So you know, I'm, I'm more inclined to believe that he sent the rain once the, uh, the, the, uh, the ability to nurture the potential arrived. Exactly. And such that the rain itself was not a shock. It's the flood was a shock. Right. The massive amount of it, which was beyond just rain. Cause normally when it rains here, we get some pretty good thunderstorms with some good frog chokers. But I've never seen the waters of the deep open up. So, you know. <laughs> so it was, it was pretty dramatic. <laughs> so actually the question of the water is, if the water wasn't to grow, what was the point of the, the dew coming up to water the ground if water there? It could have been, uh, yeah, it's a good question. You know, like what was the reason for the mist coming up? Um, but the mist is distinguished from rain in this case. And so it's like, well, was the mist there for the uh, prepping of the seeds? I don't know. Yeah, like germination. 
how you keep the mo soil moist so that it begins to sprout? I don't know. It's good, good questions. I mean, I would, my assumption too would be like when, when they sin and they were out, they had to work by the sweat of their brow. Mm -hmm. And so toiling the land and doing all these things, if, if God didn't send rain upon their crops, how would they even grow? Like, in that regard. Yeah, I, I think the, the response would be, well, if the mist had ascended from the ground, then the mist could still be ascending from the ground. Could be. Um, I'll, I, I tend to fall on the, the rain came, but, you know, if it was rain, it was rain. If it was the waters of the earth bursting forth that had never been seen, then it was that. But all in all, whatever it was, it required the faith a faithful response from Noah, knowing that even though his eyes hadn't seen what God said was coming, that he had to have a response in obedience and reverence to God in order for God's purposes to be fulfilled in him and the purposes of restoration to come about for the new creation that God wanted to make. And then God called Noah to righteousness forgetting what lies behind, pressing on to what lies ahead, such that he might then be one who leads his family in the new world, in the new creation, into the purposes of God. Right Now, they failed, but it wasn't a result of God's commands not being sufficient. Right As in Romans it says, it wasn't that the word failed, it's that the flesh failed. And so then God says, well, I renewed the world, that wasn't enough, I will renew you as well such that you, being a new creation, can then, in obedience and faith, go forward and carry out the work of restoration as the agent of God in this world, preparing the way for the messianic era and the restoration, right? But all, yeah, and just all in all, God shows his great compassion and the fact that he is persistent and his plan of restoration, regardless of which obstacles come up along the way. He's always looking for the one who will respond to him, who will listen and in reverence say, I may not have seen it, but I trust your word and I'm going to act in accordance. Right? Whether it's a great thing he's called us to do, or, if, or even if it seems like a minor thing. Right? Because if we're faithful in the little things, he will give us more. Right? And so... So it's up to us to say, Lord, I want to walk continuously with you back and forth. I want to walk in the righteousness that you've revealed. I want my faith to be more than just ideas and concepts. I want them to be an expression that is lived out in honor of you and to your glory. And that we might witness the power of God here on this earth. So let's pray. Lord, we love you. We bless you and thank you for your kindness your compassion, the great grace that you've given and poured out on us. Lord, we bless your name. And we thank you for this day, for the week ahead. And we ask uh, for your blessing and covering in the name of Yeshua. Amen. Thank you for joining us. If you enjoyed this message, please consider sharing it with a friend or family member and help us out by giving a review on iTunes or other podcast platform. Check out our website at walkingemmausroad.org for additional teachings and information about visiting Emmaus Road in Kingwood, Texas.